Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The epistle lesson for today is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. This can be found on page 1165 of your Pew Bible. The Apostle Paul uses the example of Jesus to encourage greater humility and love among Christians. These characteristics are born of a deep love for God and neighbor and show in deeds of service. A reading from Philippians chapter 2, beginning with the first verse. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May God ask, add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Good morning, family. Three months ago, I resigned from a 30-year career on Wall Street. It all began in eighth grade. <laughs> when I was in eighth grade, in our math class, we had a stock trading contest. And our math teacher encouraged, encouraged us to pick a stock and follow that stock with the hopes of making money. And so each day, we would go into class, and we would check the Wall Street Journal. Now, for the kids in the room, we did not have computers back then. <laughs> we had a newspaper, and so every day we would open up the newspaper, and when we look for our stock, and we would check the quote, the price, and then we would write down how much money we made or lost that day. But that um, exercise in our math class was what really birthed my passion for the stock market. So it wasn't that shortly after that that after 
college, I ended up going to Wall Street to work at Smith Barney. Now, I had grew up excited about money, and after college, that went into Wall Street with me, and that hunger and love just grew and grew and grew because the culture was also one of uh, money, a love for money, and wealth addiction was celebrated. So it didn't take long, because I was now constantly grasping for more. I was grasping for more power, I was grasping for more money, I was grasping for more responsibility. There was never enough that could satisfy me. In my mind, though, I actually thought I deserved it. I thought I deserved all that success and that it was me who was creating it. And so into my late 30s and my early 40s, I continued grasping and gripping for more. I had no relationship with God at this point, and my bonus, the size of my bonus, was really what dictated my self-worth. So if that year I had a big bonus, I felt that the people that I worked for valued me. And if I had a small bonus, I felt like they didn't value me. And so in the times where it wasn't as great, I even thought, well, maybe I should leave because they don't value me based on the amount of money that they gave me. But that was not the case. But in that job that I desired since the eighth grade, that I hungered for, to make all this money in, I never found complete joy in it. There were times that I had joy, but I never had complete joy. It never came where I would put others first. It was always about me trying to get ahead in advance, because that was part of the culture. But what did come was a lot of anxiety, depression, a long battle with addiction. That's him, right? That's me, Mom. I love you, Mom. But the things in that uh, workplace just never filled me. And I just marched on to continue the race. And as I continued to struggle, all that hurt in my life all the pain in my life. With all that going on, God put it on my heart to go search for a church for our family. So my plan was I was going to go to uh, a number of different churches in Greenwich. My plan was I was going to go to each one twice, so I had more than one data point. <laughs> and growing up in Greenwich, um, I thought I knew most of the churches. And so um, there was a friend of mine that came to me at that point in time and says to me, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? And I said to her, I'm going to go church hopping. I'm going to go twice and try to find the right church for our family. So this friend of mine walks up to me and she says, you should really go try Stanwich Church. And I said, okay, I don't know Stanwich Church. I grew up in Old Greenwich and Riverside. Stanwich Church was on the other side of town. Didn't spend much time on this side of town, so I put it on the list. I didn't know what spirit-filled meant. I did ask her, what, what does that mean, spirit-filled? And she just told me to go. 
I grew up with my parents, going to church every Sunday. And I remember believing in God and Jesus, but I don't remember anyone talking about the Holy Spirit. So that was new to me for somebody to say spirit-filled. That was not part of my grid. So <laughs> as I continued struggling and I came to Stanwich Church that one, uh, that first time, I walked in the door. It was the 1045 service just like this. It was packed just like this. And I came in and I sat right there where the harches are sitting. And I sat down and I looked around to see if I knew anybody. And I didn't know anybody at first, but then when I turned around right behind me, I saw Ron Canero. And I love Ron, and when I saw him, I felt a peace that my friend was sitting behind me. But I also didn't know anybody else, and that also brought me a peace, because for some reason, I didn't want anyone there to know me. And I don't know for sure, but it kind of felt like shame or maybe regret. I, I don't know what it really was, but I felt like I wanted to kind of hide in that location. But when the worship start, started, when the worship group started, as soon as the music began, all of a sudden, the power of God came and it hit me. And when it hit me, and not only came through me, it came through my chest, out the back, and it was just this moving power. And it was so strong that it was really overwhelming me, and it overwhelmed me to the point of tears. And so I'm crying, my shirt's getting wet, and um, what I was experiencing as the power was going through me, was not tears of sadness, but tears of love. And so the tears were um, tears of love, sometimes referred to as holy tears. And holy tears are one of the most common manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So what was going on was Father God was filling me with the Father's love. And so the Father's love is going through me because he knew exactly what I needed. He knew all my hurt, and he knew all my pain, and he knew that I needed his love to heal it. So that went on all the way through the entire service. And as soon as we were done, I was getting ready to run out to my car just because I was a total mess. <laughs> and Ron Canero grabs me. And he says, let's go, I'm going to introduce you to some people. And I didn't want to go, but Ron grabbed me with a little nudge and brought me into the back of Emmaus Hall and starts introducing me to all these men, as Ron does. He's such a great brother. And I met a few people, and, but as soon as I'd done, you know, being honest, I couldn't wait to get out of there, and I got in my car and I went home and shared what was going on with my wife, my wife Melissa. So... This power, this love that God uh, was pouring out over me, it ended up happening for six weeks in a row. 
So every time I stepped into this church, that happened. As soon as the worship music went on, the Holy Spirit came and I felt it come in me and go through me. And it overwhelmed me to, uh, to tears. So I had six weeks of just experiencing his love, which was really healing a lot of the soul wounds that I was carrying at that time. But thank God he knew what I needed. So I needed to get a better understanding of what was going on in that experience, because like I said, I had no grid for it. And so at the time, our pastor here was uh, Pastor Chuck Davis. I went up to see Chuck Davis, and I said, you know, I need your help in understanding what's going on. What am I experiencing? And he explained to me it was the Holy Spirit. Shortly thereafter, he invited me to go to one of his classes at Alliance Theological Seminary, where he was the professor at the time, and he was teaching a class called Power Encounter. And what Power Encounter did, it just helped me build and learn about the Holy Spirit and a host of other things. But what happened during that experience over those six weeks is God deposited this hunger and this thirst in me for more of his presence. So I just kept wanting more and more. And so after going to Chuck's seminary class, I then went to Greg and Sue Newman's house to be baptized with our family. Pastor Nathan and Pastor Chuck baptized our entire family. I wanted to give my life back to Christ again, and I was just hungry, hungry for more of his presence. And so the next thing I did was we had inner healing um, going on, and I wanted to be a part of the inner healing in order to heal. And so I signed up, I attended, I ended up going to two inner healing sessions to help with what I was going through at that time. And so the first session I went to, when I went in, in the chapel back here, there was three people praying for me. And as soon as we started to pray, I closed my eyes. And this is what I saw. Max, if you could put the picture up for us. So this is what I saw in my mind's eye with my eyes closed as we were praying. And um, I heard him say, take my hand. So I did. And he, uh, he shined the light in a lot of the dark places that were going on in my life. And I needed that, I needed the healing. I needed to um, let go of the hurt and the anger and the resentment and all the stuff I had built up over the decades. 
but I heard him say, take my hand. Um, so I wanted to take some time for us to just behold him together. I just want us to uh, behold our Lord Jesus. If we could just, um, either you can either just look into his eyes or close your eyes and see what he wants to show you. Maybe reach out your hand to grab his and ask him, is there something, Lord, that I need to let go of? Help me let go of it and to grasp your hand and hold your hand. So let's take a few seconds just to behold him. Holy Spirit, I ask that you come and that you help us meditate on you. At the cross, Jesus emptied himself for us so that we could empty ourselves for him. When I emptied myself to him, it was then that I heard him call me into ministry. But it wasn't the ministry that I thought of. When I think of being a minister, I think of a minister in the pulpit preaching in the church, the ministry that he had called me to was marketplace ministry. And my definition for marketplace ministry is going out and make Jesus known outside the four walls of the church wherever you go. So that could be when you go to the supermarket, on your commute, and even, yes, at your workplace. So, with this hunger and this thirst that I had for more of his presence, I ended up taking it into my workplace. And in my workplace, at the time I was working at Bank of America, and I worked on a trading floor with about 350 people. It was like a a football field, and we were all 
together on that floor. What I ended up doing was this hunger kind of rose up in me, and so I lovingly and humbly preached the gospel to people when the Holy Spirit highlighted it to me. I started prayer walking the trading floor, shifting the atmosphere, declaring God's kingdom is at hand, putting the enemy on notice. And as I was doing the prayer walking, what happened is not something I expected, but the other Christians in the workplace, when they saw what it looked like for faith to be walked out in the workplace, it filled them with a hunger and a thirst to do the same. So we ended up prayer walking together. We ended up forming a a prayer group in one of the offices, and we ended up praying for people. And it wasn't, um, you know, prayer where somebody asks you to pray and you go away and you pray. It was praying right there in the workplace and letting people that you were praying for experience the presence of God. And so as we would pray for people, um, it, it got out to the other parts of the firm, and so different people on different floors were coming from all over for prayer. God was sending people for prayer. They were atheists, they were Hindus, they were Jainists, they were all different religions, and they knew that we prayed to Christ. But whether it was for them or for their families, they needed prayer. And so we would pray for them and their families, and we would bless them. So what it became for me, unbeknownst to me, is that I was fulfilling the Great Commission at work. And we were seeing people giving their lives to Christ. We were seeing people get healed. We were seeing people get delivered of all sorts of emotional and spiritual things that they were experiencing. It was a safe place for people to go in a culture that's typically not safe to share your emotions and certainly not be humble. So as I um, was doing this at work, I remember my wife, Melissa, saying to me, um, there were words around her um, being concerned about you know, being too forward with my face at work and the implications that that might, might occur, which was a really good thing for her to say to me because that's not something I had processed yet. And like a good wife did, is she, you know, she says to me, we need to you know, think about this. And you know, it's, it's a common thought to say, if you're being too bold with your faith, that it, you know, maybe you lose your job. The implications are losing your job. I ended up praying, um, I sent an, uh, an email to uh, Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank America at the time, and him and I started praying back and forth. And so I was interceding for our CEO and our, our C-suite down all the way to our trading floors and the staff that worked in the security all the way up. And so people at work were saying to me, you gotta be careful. If you continue to do what you're doing, you're going to get fired. These are my colleagues around me. And so when they saw that I was praying with the CEO of the bank, that just kind of quieted the whole concern <laughs> that people had. <laughs> one of, one of uh, 
the sayings we have on Wall Street is um, there's, kind of, there's kind of this order. You don't want to get too close to the, the higher ups. And so they, they say you don't want to get too close to the sun because you'll get burned. But I wasn't really there to get burned. I was there to set a fire. And I thought I'd start with the top. <laughs> so I did. And, you know, he's an amazing Catholic man. And he, you know, he appreciates the power of prayer. So him and I built that relationship together. And that kind of quieted the, the fears that um, people might have had around that. But... That was my calling in the marketplace. And as, um, as I came to the end of it, I realized one day, it was a Friday in the middle of July. I was at Citigroup this July. I walked onto the trading floor on a Friday. And as I entered into the trading floor and I saw everybody there, I stopped. Seven o'clock in the morning. And what I heard in that moment was, this is your last day. Do not look back, only go forward. That's what I heard. So I went home and I prayed about it over the weekend. Talked about it with Melissa. And on Monday morning, I resigned and decided I wasn't going to look back. That was my last day. And I knew at that point in time that when he said to me, do not look back, only move forward, he was calling me to move forward into full-time ministry. This time, ministry in the church so I resigned from my position as an executive director of equity derivative sales within this global banking system to become the pastoral intern here at Stanwich Church. <laughs> so here I am. <laughs> Is it scary? Uh-huh, it is. It's definitely scary. It's scary for me and my family to step away from something that's so comfortable and gives us security, but it never really brought me joy. And when I mean joy, I mean like complete joy. I had joy every now and then, but I mean like complete, fulfilling, wholesome joy. And as my internship began here, what I experienced as we started gathering every week in our meetings is I started experiencing that complete joy. And so I knew that I was where he wanted me to be. It was the joy, I think part of the joy was just releasing the old and um, welcoming the new. God's call on my life, you know, just emptying myself and humbling myself 
And I remember weeping about it, and I was with Pastor Nathan in his office, and he said to me, you're, you know, you're weeping your career, and that's common. And I, I didn't realize I was weeping my career, but I guess I was. Um, but I was glad that my friend was there to share that with me, to help me understand what was going on. So as I prayed into this passage, Philippians 2, 1 through 11 this week, what I found is myself gripping, and I wanted to know from God, what was I still grasping and gripping onto in this world? Because whatever it is, if it's not bringing me the complete joy that Jesus does, I want to be aware of it, and I want to release it. I want to release it to him so I can be in the fullness and the wholeness of what he called me into. So in this passage this morning, the Apostle Paul is telling the church in Philippi that Jesus is our example. Paul is explaining to the church what the gospel, the good news, actually looks like, the way it's supposed to be lived out in the kingdom of God. By following Jesus, They are to conduct themselves and live in a manner that has no selfish ambition, no conceit, being of the same mind of Christ, with humility and regarding each other higher than yourselves. So let's go to the text, verses 1 and 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in the full accord and of one mind. Here Paul is encouraging the church to complete his joy. By having the same mind of Christ, the same love, in full accord, and in one mind. The key to having the same mind of Christ begins when we empty ourselves, and we humble ourselves, and we love ourselves the way Jesus loves us. C.S. Lewis once said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I'm just going to repeat that. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So why is Paul saying this? What was the situation? The letter Paul penned here to the church in Philippi was the Apostle Paul toward the end of his life. This was mature Paul. And his life is centered in all that is Christ. He was completely emptied at this point. He was humble, and his entire life was surrendered to Jesus. The church in Philippi was his favorite church. They were great partners in the gospel, 
And for Paul, all of his life was about getting the good news out. Paul is bringing two ideas together in this passage. His two ideas are Christ and joy. Christ and joy. One of Paul's purposes in writing this letter was to express his gratitude for the affection and the financial assistance the saints in Philippi extended to him during his second journey in his time in prison. Paul's attitude in prison is one that is rejoicing in every circumstance and finding joy amidst his trials. Paul had every reason to be discontent and upset by the worldly standards that he was living in, but he was in prison preaching the gospel. Joyful. Paul is telling the church, your circumstances do not determine your joy. I would like you to say this when they repeat after me, if you will. My circumstances do not determine my joy. One more time. My circumstances do not determine my joy. Amen. So last Sunday, we celebrated our mission partners in Zephaniah 317. Zephaniah 3.17 says that God rejoices over his people with shouts of joy. God's kingdom is characterized by joy. Psalm 16.11 says there is fullness of joy in God's presence. I think we have all experienced joy and peace and love right here in our sanctuary. I've had friends come in and visit, and when we left the building, they said to me, what is that? What's going on in there? (laughs) I felt something, and that description was either peace or love or joy, the fruits of the Spirit. And what I explained to them is, is that it was the presence of God, that the presence of God is here, that the presence of God lives in all the people in the church because the people are the church and we carry God's presence. So let's take a look at verses 5 and 8. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even a shame-filled death, an excruciating death, an excruciating death on the cross. 
and taking the blow for you and me. So Jesus is giving up his will to be completely receptive to God's will. And he did this for us. He did this so he could pursue us back into relationship with God. Back into relationship with God in both the good times and also the really bad times. I shared a lot about what Paul was speaking about, being in Christ and joy and emptying yourselves and being humble. But Paul is also exhorting the church in Philippi to be in unity. He's encouraging them to not be divisive against each other. The global church doesn't need any more divisiveness. We as Christians have a higher calling than that. Verses 9 and 10. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And because Jesus empties himself, God highly exalts him, and he bestowed upon him the name above all names, so that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus was highly exalted by God, and his name is above all names. So as we come to the Lord's table, let us open our hands to receive his. Let us open our hands to receive his love. Let us open our hands to receive his joy, his complete joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. To the glory of God our Father. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.